Good morning. Good to see you guys today. Um, we are right in the middle of a five-week series called Pray. We are in week three, and um, if you uh, have been away the last couple of weeks, I just want to give you a quick catch-up on uh, what you have missed, what you can always tune in online or watch on our Vimeo page. So we started out two weeks ago with a message titled Pray Big, Pray Big, and we talked about how big prayers don't start with us, but big prayers actually start with our big God. And uh, what we found is that when we pray those praise psalms out of the book of Psalms in the Bible, um, those praise psalms begin with looking at who God is and what God has done for us. And powerful prayers begin with praise. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about praying frustrated And we looked at these psalms of lament, the most common psalm that you find of the 150 psalms in the Old Testament of the Bible. And we talked about how when we pray and we cry out to God for help, it is so much more than transactional. It's it's so much different than just, you know, us pulling up at a a drive-thru and asking for a value meal. There is so much more than just asking God for things. There's something that happens before and that happens after. And what happens before the ask, as we see in these psalms of lament, is we see that God invites us to complain to him about what's going on and just be really real about what's happening. And then um, after we complain and we ask, then uh, what those psalms always end with every single time those psalms of lament end with is a proclamation. So we complain and then we proclaim. And um, so that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. Today, the title is Pray Vengeance. Pray vengeance. And what we're after today is those times when we have been wronged and we are just flat out angry and there's just something in us that is just seeking revenge. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I kind of have a a funny story about revenge. Uh, This was something that happened between my my brother and I when we were kids. Um, So I have a younger brother. He's two years younger than me. And um, this was when I was about 16, my brother was about 14. And, and I don't know, for those of you who have younger brothers, or maybe you are a younger brother, I don't know if this is just true for me, but there were times with, with my brother and I, it was just, it was just us two siblings in, in the family. There were times when, when my little brother would just, he would provoke me, he would mess with me, and he would just instigate stuff. And it wasn't because he was trying to be mean or ugly. He just was like craving the contact. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody have like a little brother? You are a little brother. There were just times when he just would want to mess with me because he just would want to like wrestle. Or he would just kind of want me to pound him a little bit, you know? And he would just get this, get this sparkle in his eye, and, and I could tell that, that that's what he, he wanted to do. So I'm about 16 years old. My brother's about 14. And my, my parents were out doing something. And so it was just my brother and I at home. And I think I'd been playing basketball or something. And I, I came in the house. It was a summer day. And, um, and I walk into the kitchen. And my brother's standing there with some chips and some queso dip. And I walk over to the fridge and I get myself something to drink. But as I was looking at my brother, he just had this, that look on his face. That, that, that instigative, mischievous look. Like something was going to happen. And I'm just looking at him. And I'm taking my drink. And he just walks up to me with the queso dip. Takes a big spoonful of it. And he just... He just like puts it, like whaps it like onto my neck. And then he just starts dying laughing. Like it's the most hilarious thing. 
in the world. And uh, I wasn't all that amused by the queso across my neck. And so I was just like, really, really, man? Like, and I was trying to laugh and, you know, whatever. Haha, uh-huh, that's, it's really funny. And, he, and so he's just still laughing away. And so I was like, dude, seriously, that just wasn't that funny. So I'm going to go take a shower now. So I go upstairs and I take a shower and, you know, and I get myself all cleaned up. I get out of the shower, you know, I dry off. I wrap my towel around my waist. I'm, you know, just kind of getting my hair done, putting my deodorant on, everything like that. So I'm, I'm, now I'm good, okay? I, I go to open the bathroom door. I open the bathroom door, swing it open, and there is my brother with the queso dip. He has dipped his hand into the queso dip and he just whoosh, and literally, like, I just take a huge, like, massive, like, thing of queso right across my chest. I just kind of was like, what? my brother is just crying. He's laughing so hard, looking at, looking at me, just sitting there. And I just look at him, and I'm like, you are so dead. I close the door, lock it, get back in the shower, clean myself off, get myself all back together again, go out to my bedroom. My brother's nowhere to be found now. I go out to my bedroom, I put my clothes on, and then I kind of creep down the stairs, and I find my brother sitting in the family room. So I kind of creep down, and then all of a sudden I make my move like a cat, you know what I'm saying? And I just make my move in the family room. I just, I just go after him. He, he freaks out, he gets up, he starts running. I caught him at the kitchen. Now, this was very unfortunate for him because I actually caught him right by the refrigerator of the kitchen, and you may kind of feel where this this story may be going. So I I managed to to tackle him in the kitchen, and I'm I'm literally like, I'm sitting on him. You know, I've I've got him pinned down, and um, and I'm within reach of the refrigerator door. This is beautiful. This was like a God-anointed moment for me. (laughs) So... So I, I, I reach open the refrigerator, and the, the closest thing that I see is a big plastic squeezy bottle of mayonnaise. It was just like a light from heaven. I, I reach, I grab the squeezy bottle of mayonnaise, and now it's time for revenge. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just, I open it up, and I've got him, I mean, I've totally got him pinned, arms down, you know, he's just at my mercy, and I just take the thing, and I just squeeze a whole ton of it, like, right on his head, you know? And that's, that wasn't good enough. No, no, no. And I just, I, I'm, it's a spa treatment now, okay? So I am just like rubbing it in his hair and on his face and on his neck. And man, it felt so good. You know what I'm saying? It was just awesome. And then in the midst of this incredibly awesome, divinely inspired moment, my brother was selfish enough, selfish enough. See, he had this, he got kind of a quick gag reflex. Very selfish of him. He starts to like, oh, oh, you know, oh, oh, and, he, and he starts, co- and then I realized like, oh man, you know, so I, then I got to let him up and he's like, oh, oh, and he's all, you know, freaking out because this was, it's a very selfish moment because you see, here's the thing. This was my moment of revenge. This, th- it felt so good. And that only lasted for maybe like five seconds. And now all of a sudden, like he's all gagging and you know, whatever he's doing over the sink. And you know, it just, it totally spoiled the moment. I was very upset about this. Very upset. But here's, here's the interesting thing about this. Even those few seconds that were just so triumphant for me, that were just so amazing, here's the thing. As good as that felt, I still smelled like queso. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
all that mayonnaise treatment, like that, that's, that didn't take away the fact that I still smelled like queso dip. We're going to talk about revenge today. And those times, and, and we, we all have them, don't we? Those times when we've been hurt, when we've been wronged, when we've been deeply betrayed by somebody. There's something in us, isn't there? There's something in us that just craves revenge. We, we deeply desire to get our own squeezy mayonnaise bottle, don't we? And to go do something about it to somebody. Well, we're going to look today at what some psalms of vengeance teach us about what to do with this need for revenge. So we're in Psalm 109. If you, if you have a Bible, you want to turn there or you'll find the words up on the screen. But this is a psalm of vengeance, Psalm 109. Um, it is written by a man named David. This is David of David and Goliath. This is the David who was king of Israel about 3,000 years ago. And um, man, he is fired up. So we're going to just jump right into the psalm because I think as, as we read it, we'll get a picture of what's happening, how he's feeling, and then we'll unpack what that means for us. So here's how it starts, Psalm 109. David prays, My God, whom I praise... Don't remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I'm a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. So here is David, and he's surrounded by evil wicked people. But these aren't just people kind of at an arm's length from him. These, these are trusted people. These are people that he called friends who have now returned evil for the good and the friendship that David had for them. So it's this deep sense of betrayal. And David is just starting out the psalm by just laying this out before God. Now, here's where things really heat up because he turns and now he starts to begin his request. Verse six, appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Now, when he asks for, for an accuser to stand at his right hand, the right hand, when you see that biblically, that's like, that's the circle of trust. Your most trusted person would sit at your right hand. Okay, so he's saying, I want the person who's the most trusted person, God, would you send an evil, wicked person to sit at that, at that person's right hand and betray them the same way that, that they betrayed me? He continues, when he's tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. Now he's really getting rolling. Check this out. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. He is literally here praying that this guy would die, that God would take this guy out. Have you ever been so mad? Have you ever wanted revenge so badly that you literally prayed for God to kill somebody? That is where David is, but it actually, his anger, we're just getting started. Check this out. Verse 10, may his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. Now it's not even just about this guy that's betrayed him. Now he's onto this guy's kids. Do you see how just his rage, his anger, do you see the level of hate that David is 
pouring out to God in this psalm. Now he's even praying for this guy's children to be tormented. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out for the next generation. Some of you are looking at this and you're thinking, is this seriously in the Bible? I mean, this is incredible that this is in here. This is completely scandalous. And for many of us, if we're honest right now in this moment for what you've just heard, you're sitting here going, okay, I mean, yeah, maybe these psalms in the Bible are these inspired prayers to God that teach us how to pray, but I'm just really not sure that we're supposed to pray that way. I mean, are we really supposed to pray that kind of hateful prayer? Some of you, that's what you're thinking right now. But then there's others of you, and you've actually prayed these kinds of prayers before. And you know, actually, that you can pray those kinds of prayers. And for those who have been that angry, that amped up, filled with that much hate, and you've prayed that kind of prayer, you know what an amazing thing it's been to be able to pour out that kind of vengeance before God. You see, and we we talked about this last week. See, the, the deal is that our God, the reason we have all these psalms in the Bible these inspired prayers, these model prayers for, to teach us how to pray is because our God actually wants us to pray and tell him everything, everything. You see, for us, and we touched on this last week, for us, ultimately, when we have needs, okay, whether we're, just, we're asking for something or whether we have someone that we just desperately, desperately want revenge against or we want justice, our ultimate aim in praying those kinds of prayers is, is relief. That's, that's our ultimate thing we want. We talked about this last week. But God's ultimate deal isn't relief. It's a relationship. Our God cares about everything about us. And so God, this is why God invites us to pray prayers of complaint, even to pray prayers of vengeance, where you're like, God, please, this person has wronged me so badly. I just want you to snuff them out and torture their children. And you just bring all that hate to God. That is actually what God wants us to do. And some of you have done that. And I want to tell you that if you're here and you've prayed those kinds of prayers, you probably know that your relationship with God, if you're able to pray those kind of prayers, is a pretty good relationship with God. I mean, there is just a level of closeness and connection with God when you can talk to God about anything. And if you're here today and you just feel like, no, that prayer is so inappropriate. There's no way that I could possibly say that to God. I just want to just gently just, just remind you of something. God already knows every hateful thought. God already knows every complaint that you have. Okay, God already knows. All that's left to do is for you to release it to him. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done it, I'm telling you, the Psalms invite us. God is inviting us to be totally real. Give him every emotion, not just all the PC, good churchy prayers, but all of your prayers to God for the sake of our relationship. So David goes on and on, and we don't have time, but we could just continue to roll through this psalm, and he just, he's just continuing to pray these prayers of vengeance upon his enemy. 
And so I'm going to fast forward up to verses 26, 27, 30, and 31. This is at the end of the psalm. So he's just continuing to cry out to God. He's continuing to pray vengeful prayers. And then David says, closes his prayer this way, Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know, let my enemies know, let them know that it's your hand that you, Lord, have done it. That's really, really important. Let them know that it's your hand that you, Lord, have done it. What David is expressing there, okay, he's poured out this vengeful prayer to God. And then he said, God, this is your hand. This is your deal. This is your work to avenge my enemies. He says in verse 30, with my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers, I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. So what David is saying there is, God, okay, it's, it's, this is your hand. This is your work. I've prayed this prayer. And now he's basically declaring, you know what, God, I'm going to praise you. We talked about this two weeks ago. He says, I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to trust that you are going to, to avenge my enemies. So here's the takeaway from Psalm 109. And if, if you kind of just tuned out for a minute or whatever, I just want you to just come back to me right now because, because basically let me just kind of highlight the whole of Psalm 109 in a nutshell, what really the psalm is saying. When we have been wronged, when we are deeply hurt, and we are incredibly angered, and we are filled with hate, and we are consumed with the desire for revenge... According to the Psalm 109 and other psalms like it, these psalms of vengeance, here's what we are supposed to do. We're actually to take that need for vengeance and take it to God and trust that he's going to take care of it. We take our vengeance to God and we trust that he is going to take care of it. Now, (laughs) you may be sitting there going, seriously? That's it? We, you know, the, all, I'm filled with this rage, this anger, this hate. No, justice must be done. And, and you're saying that well, all we do basically is we just pray and then we wait? That's totally unsatisfactory. How many people are just like, just being totally real, you're thinking about that person that's wronged you. You're just like, that's just not enough. Okay, that's just... That might be great. That's in the Psalms. You know, that's, that's fine. That, that just ain't going to work. I mean, we are Washingtonians. We are people of action, right? We need to go out and do something about this and praying that's just not enough. Do something for us. So if you're here and you're like, no, 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 there, there's got to be some sort of action that I can take. I mean, there's got to be something because just praying and waiting, <laughs> that's, just, that's just not going to cut it. You don't know my situation. That's just not going to work for me, all right? If that's you, there is, there is some action. It's not found in Psalm 109, okay? This is as far as the psalm takes us. Just take it to God and trust he'll take care of it. However, if you move into the New Testament, um, we'll find some action. And I got to tell you that if you didn't like the whole just trust and, and wait for God to do it, you're really going to hate this, okay? Just, just brace yourself because this is going to be awful. And I'm, I'm being serious. Um, so Paul writes, this is the Apostle Paul. You probably heard of this guy, arguably the greatest Christian to ever live. Had this, he was persecuting Christians and he had this radical conversion where he met Jesus on the road. Um, to, to, where was it? Damascus? 
Yes, and, um, and so he had this incredible experience with Jesus Christ, and then he became like the greatest Christian evangelist of all time. And so this is Paul writing, and basically he's just writing just right out of what Jesus taught. So it, this is a letter that Paul wrote to, to Christians in Rome. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. And look at what David says. He says, or David, I'm sorry, look at what Paul says. He says, do not take revenge my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, and now he's quoting something that God told his people that's recorded in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy that David would have been familiar with, that would have inspired David as he wrote out his prayer in Psalm 109. So he says, for it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary. So don't take revenge. Don't do that. On the contrary, and here's where it's going to get really awful for some of you, okay? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So if I could give you like one little line to hold on to from today's message, here's, here's the line that I would give you. God's job is to fix them. Your job is to love them. When it comes to those people, you are filled with hate. You are just, you're filled with hurt, okay? They're your enemies. They're people who betrayed you. It's not your job to fix them. That's God's job. Your job is simply to love them. Now, if you're here today and you would, are not sure that you would call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Like you're still kind of checking out this whole church thing and trying to figure out what that means for you. And you know, you know, you believe in God or something, but, but you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God who has authority over your life. Like that you are following him and you are submitting to him and, and doing what he teaches us to do. If you're not at that place, but you're here, first of all, we're, we're thrilled that you're here. We're glad that, that you're, that you're here today. And I hope that you will continue to come. You're welcome here to learn more, and to explore. If that's you today, you don't have to do this. You, you get a total free pass on this one. You can just exhale. Oh, thank God. Oh, man. I mean, that is serious. There's no way I could do that. You don't have to. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to love your enemies. See, Paul writes this, but ultimately, and those of us who've grown up in church or whatever, we know that Jesus actually said it plainly as this, love your enemies. He said, love your enemies. You don't have to do that if you're not a Christian, but if you are, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you have submitted your life to him and you're, and you're actually supposed to be following him, then this is something that Jesus Christ commands all of us who are his followers to actually do. As difficult as that sounds, as much as that might give you a sick feeling down deep in your stomach, the reality is that we are called to love our enemies. Now, this is pretty horrific stuff, if we're just going to be real. And some of you have someone in your mind right now, like a face or a name, and you're just thinking, this is impossible, okay? This is impossible. Th there is just a tiny glimmer of hope 
in, in the last part of this verse that I, that I want to share with you, because right now you're just like, oh, this is, this is horrible. I wish I'd never seen Romans 12, 19, and 20. Okay, there's a tiny little thing at the end that kind of gives you a little, a little maybe, maybe it redeems the verse, okay? And this is what Paul writes. So he's saying, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And then he writes, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Aha! Maybe this verse isn't so bad. That sounds pretty torturous. Where did my verse go? Did we get it? No? I promise it's there. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That is the last part of Romans 12, 20. And I did not make that up. I promise you it's in there. Um, so you may be like, Oh, okay, now, now I can cling on to that. Okay, maybe, maybe there is a way that I could love my enemies because that sounds kind of like torture and that would be really nice. I mean, that would feel really good. Let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk about it for a second. What, what Paul is really after here isn't so much some sort of like excruciating torture that you're going to bring. It's actually not consistent with the context of what he's talking about there in Romans 12. But what he's really saying is that if you will love your enemies, if you, in the midst of all the hate and the anger, and when they're not worthy at all, and they know it and you know it, if you will just, just love them, do some sort of incredible act of kindness toward them, what happens is, this is, this is like getting burning coals heaped over your head, which means like is so shocking. It is so surprising. It will hit them so far out of left field. And it is a game changer for them. Like it will completely catch them off guard and they will never, ever, ever forget it. Okay. It's not so much about like torturing them and they'll be scarred forever. It's about, man, this will just rock their world. I I don't know uh, if, if you're into like, studying history and and wars and battle strategies and things like that. But one of the things that's fascinating to me is how many times uh, wars have been won where um, the one side wasn't actually supposed to win, really, if you looked at it. But, But they did. The underdog somehow finds a way to win. And you know what is a common denominator time after time after time after time? It's the element of surprise, isn't it? The element of surprise. When you can catch your enemy off guard, you have a tremendous advantage. And the reality is this. When you have somebody and the relationship has been strained or is broken or it's just flat out just total hate there, when you love that person, when that's the last thing in the world that would logically make sense, that catches your enemy off guard and it messes with them in a big, big way. I don't know if you've ever been caught off guard by an act of love, but I remember when I was in college, I, I, I was in a fraternity, and I lived in the fraternity house, and um, there was this guy in my fraternity house, his name was Chris Montante. And Chris Montante was, he was kind of like my, my nemesis, although he didn't really know that, but he was really my nemesis. And I, I just, I hated this guy. Um, basically because my thing with the fraternity was that, um, that I, I actually never thought that I would join a fraternity, but I, I found this fraternity and they were, they were really into 
doing a lot of service. There was a lot of redeeming things that happened. There were a lot of not redeeming things that happened, okay? So I'll just, I'll give you that, okay? But, but I, I was the one who was like, I was into, hey, how can we have a good image on campus? How, how can we do some good service things? How can we, how can we make a difference, right? So, so I, was, I was that guy. Chris Montante, he was not that guy. He was the exact opposite of that guy. And he was like the, the contrarian. He was brash. He was cocky. He would, just, he would just throw out just opposing views and arguments just for the sheer joy of doing it. You know what I'm saying? It was like constantly the wrench in the gear that just frustrated me to no end. So he didn't really give a rip about me, okay? But I could not stand this guy. And I really didn't hate anybody, but I hated this guy. We called him Tante. I hated Tante with a passion. So... It's my junior year, and we have done this massive, massive community service project, this huge philanthropy. We turned our entire uh, fraternity house into a haunted house. It took, like, it took like a month to transform this thing, and it was a massive effort, like thousands of dollars worth of like, lumber and building materials and stuff. We did it for all the kids in Oxford, and then we donated all the money. It was, it was awesome, okay? So we're doing, we're doing cleanup. We're, we're tearing it down. Of course, Matante, he's, he's not cleaning up, right? Okay, he's, he's, he's off just hanging out on the front porch. And I'm cleaning up in one of the, the, the main rooms out front. And I, we have these huge boards, and I'm pulling nails out of these boards, you know? And I'm, I'm just going like one by one, and I'm pulling these nails out of these boards. And as I, as I go to, as I go to I pull one out, and then I take a big step back, and I just feel this searing pain as this three-inch nail goes all the way up through my foot. And I step out of this thing, and I'm like, oh, oh, still hurts right now, just thinking about it. And I grab, I grab my foot. I take my shoe off. I'm looking at my sock, and it is just, instantly, it's all red, just covered with blood. So I'm hopping. I'm hopping out of that room, and I hop over to the front porch, where there will always be guys hanging out on the front porch. We have these cool chairs out front, and so there are always guys out there. And I hop out there, and I'm looking to see if there's anyone that I see, like the guys that I kind of hung out with in the fraternity. And it, not really, not really. And there's just other random people. I don't even know who they were. And then there's, then there's Montante, who's sitting there. And one of them looks over and is like, dude, are you all right? And I'm like, dude, no, no I just put a nail through my foot. I think I'm going to pass out, you know, because I pass out when I, when I see blood. It's one of my, one of my gifts. So um, <laughs> that's true, seriously. Um, so... The next thing I know, the most crazy, unexpected thing happens. Chris Montante jumps up from his chair. He runs over to me, takes, takes, uh, you know, puts, puts his shoulder out and, and lets me um, catch, his, catch his shoulder. He takes his, he takes his favorite, he, he wore this like long sleeve white hockey shirt that he was big into hockey. He had some like, it was some championship high school thing. I don't even know what it was. He wore it all the time. He takes that thing off of himself, ties it around my bloody sock to stop the bleeding. And then he and another guy, just basically, you know, they, they walk me out behind the fraternity house, take me into the other guy's car. Okay, so I'm sitting in there and I'm thinking, that was amazing. What just happened? Was that Montante? Like, does he have a brother? You know, I just, I did, I'm sitting there like in total shock. And I'm like, well, surely, because the other guy, it was the other guy's car. So the other guy hops in. Guess who hops in with me? Montante. He hops in. He's on for the ride down to the hospital. I'm thinking, oh, well, surely he's just there to kind of make sure I get inside the ER, you know, to, to make sure that I'm taken care of. So, so he helps me in. And 
wouldn't you know it, through, you know, the x-rays to see if I broke my foot and the tetanus and like just all the, the you know, how long it takes in the ER when you don't really have a serious emergency. So, so through that whole thing, I come out of like, it's been like three hours. I come out, who's sitting in the waiting room? Okay, the, the, the one guy and then Chris Montante sitting there. I was flabbergasted. Could not believe it. And you want to know something? That wrecked me. I mean, it totally messed me up. See, I had a good thing going. (laughs) You know, everyone needs a a villain. You know, everyone needs an enemy. You can pin everything on, you know, when something gets trashed or something. It's always Montante. Even when he wasn't even there, he was out of town for the weekend. It's Montante. It's what he did. He must have told somebody. You know what I'm saying? I had a good thing going. And that radical act of love it wrecked me. It was the element of surprise. You know what I'm saying? It was like I had burning coals dumped over my head. And here was my problem. I couldn't hate him anymore. I, I could not because of what he'd done for me. You, you know what happened? That love, as some of you need to hear this, that love literally transformed my hate into love. I couldn't even do anything about it. Do, do you understand? I was powerless to control that. Literally, love can defeat hate. Hate cannot defeat hate. Only love can. You know, to this day, my friend Chris Montante, he is one of my closest friends. And you know what? He's still a jerk. (laughs) Montante, if you're listening online, I'm sorry, but you know you kind of are. So... um, (laughs) But I just love him. You know what I'm saying? I hope you're catching the point here. You see, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, here's the deal. We take our hate, we take our wrath, we take our need for revenge, and we take that to God. We pray prayers we've never thought we could pray before. We take them to God, believing it's God's job to fix them. It's our job to love them. It's God's job to fix them. It's our job to love them. Now, by loving people who have wronged you, who betrayed you, maybe people who still will do it because they're people you cannot avoid, you cannot get rid of, okay? By, by doing this, this does not mean, and you need to hear me clearly on this one, it does not mean when we're called to love them that we are called to let them continue to abuse us, that we are called to somehow continue to be victimized by these people who are doing terrible things to us. It does not mean that we should not set boundaries because we should set healthy boundaries. It does not mean that we can't say no and take certain stands on certain things. It does not mean that we have to be reconciled to them. It does not mean that we have to be friends with them. It does not mean any of those things. But what Jesus has said unequivocally that we must wrestle with, that should mess with every single person who seriously takes a relationship with Christ to heart, is that we are commanded to love them. Not for our sake, but for Christ's sake. And we have to figure out what does that look like 
for us, especially with people that we're going to continue to interact with, who are going to continue to hurt us. I don't know. That's what you need to pray about. But what I can tell you is that we are called to love them if we are followers of Jesus Christ. So, one of the big things that hits me, and I don't know if it's hitting you, but as I put this together, here's the big question in all this. How in the world do we muster the strength to love people who are not worthy of it? I mean, the people who have wronged us, the people that we literally hate, if we're going to be honest, that we literally hate, there's so much hurt there. How in the world do we love them? I mean, how does that work? How, how can you possibly do that? Yeah, we're commanded to do it, but how do we do it, practically speaking? Well, here's what I know. Having actually tried to do this in my life, the only way that I know that you can love your enemies, love people who have deeply hurt you, love people that you hate, is the first step, which is about 99% of the animal here, is you have to forgive them for what they've done. You cannot love them until you forgive them. You have to forgive them for what they've done. And I just want to tell you that if you're sitting right now and there's someone in your mind, like there's, there's a person and, you, and, and you, you just know this is the person. This is your object lesson right here. This is virtually impossible to do. It's virtually impossible. In fact, I don't know how this is even possible apart from a relationship with Jesus. I I don't know how you can do it. Because you see, for me, I had someone who had wronged me so deeply, someone that I just had so much hatred and so much animosity toward. There was nothing in me, and maybe you can relate, because right now there's nothing in you that wants to forgive that person. There's nothing in you that wants to love them, except maybe a few of those hot coals, you know? You get, okay, you know, maybe for a few of those hot coals I could, I could do that, but it really wouldn't be genuine love. There was nothing in me. But here's the thing for me. As I wrestled with what it means to be a Christian, as I wrestled with what it actually means to accept God's unconditional love for us and his grace and his forgiveness. And as I wrestled with over and over Jesus saying, look, forgive as I have forgiven you. You're called to love your enemies. You're called to forgive everybody because that's what I have done for you. As, as I did that, what I realized was even though there was nothing in me that wanted to forgive this person, I had to do it. I had to do it. Because otherwise, I, I wasn't actually living out the gospel. I wasn't living out the good news of what Jesus had done for me because I was accepting a gift that I didn't deserve, but I wasn't willing to give that same gift to somebody else. And the reality is, when we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, here's, here's, what, it, here's this is what it looks like. We just simply admit that we're not God. We admit that we have blown it. We admit that we're not perfect. We admit that we've hurt other people. We admit that we've done things that are just wrong that we deeply regret. And when we think about being in eternity with a perfect, holy God, 
we're not worthy to be there just on our own account, no matter how many good things we've done. We have to have God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the whole message of Jesus on the cross is that he came to die for us, for forgiveness of our sins, to tell us it doesn't matter what we've done. All we need to admit is we're not worthy. And then that's it. And then Jesus comes and it's through his sacrifice. It, that's how we're worthy. That's how we're made righteous in the eyes of God. When we really understand that we're not worthy, we don't actually deserve it on our own accord. We just receive his forgiveness and his love. The reality is we are called to do the same thing for others. And this isn't just something that I'm saying, but if you read the scriptures, okay, and if you really just want to just, I mean, you, you just want a, a, a Bible passage. We're not going into it today, but you want a Bible passage that will truly, it's so sobering, I cannot even tell you. It's Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And this, this parable is just all about the fact that we have been forgiven of this tremendous debt and we are called to forgive. If you read that, it, it is so incredibly humbling, okay? If, if you're struggling, you want a little bit more scriptural backing here, read that on your own this week, okay? Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. But here's the thing. I just got to a place for me with this person where I just realized that this was something that Jesus was commanding me to do. Basically saying, like, if you're going to accept my forgiveness, if you're going to receive my unconditional love, you are called to do the same thing for this other person, whether they ask for your forgiveness, whether, they're, whether you think they're worthy of it, because guess what? They're not. They're not. And neither are we. We're not worthy of God's forgiveness. And so ultimately, this is why it's virtually impossible, because I literally prayed this prayer. I said, God, and some of you, maybe this is your prayer. I, there's nothing in me, God, that wants to do this. Nothing. Nothing in me that wants to forgive this person. But I know that I'm supposed to do it. So you need, you need to do this. You need to help me to forgive this person. And with God's help, I was able to do that. And then once you've done that step, I mean, it's, that's, that's the huge one. That's 99% of the way. It's actually, once you've totally forgiven the other person, it's, it's very easy to love them because they're no longer your enemy. They're no longer your enemy. So what we're going to do this morning to close out our service is we're going to celebrate communion, which I think is a very, very fitting way to end this service. So if you're on our communion team, if you would go ahead and, and hop up and, and grab the elements and take your places, the music team's going to come up too. And um, see, here's the thing about communion and why it is so fitting for today's service. Communion is the tangible reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It's actually the tangible reminder. When we take that, that bread and we put it in our mouth, it symbolizes Jesus' body broken for us. When we take that, we dip it into the cup that symbolizes Jesus' blood shed for us. When we do that, that is a tangible reminder for us that it's, it's not because we were worthy. Jesus didn't die because, oh, they, they've got it all together, so let me come down. No, 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 no. Jesus died for us when we were yet sinners, okay? So, so what we celebrate when we celebrate communion is not anything that we've done. It's what God has done for us. And if we push into that, if you push into that, and you push into your unworthiness in that moment, but then we are worthy through Jesus Christ and accepting that gift, 
That's what actually enables you to forgive other people. And I, I will tell you something, and this might sting a little bit, okay? So, but I, I have to say this because even though I don't know every single one of you, I love every single one of you, okay? And I say this in love, but this might hurt. If you haven't been able to forgive somebody in your life, you have not truly grasped the gospel of Jesus Christ. You haven't totally got it. Because when we fully understand that we're not worthy of that forgiveness and that we are called every time to extend that forgiveness to others, if you haven't done that, it simply means that you haven't fully grabbed hold of what it means to believe in Jesus and to have that forgiveness of your sins through him. Now, I'm sorry if I just offended you, but, but here's the thing that I want to encourage you, okay? The reason that God commands us to love our enemies, the reason that God commands us to forgive those who have no business being forgiven. Let's just be honest. They don't deserve it. The reason that God does that isn't for them. The reason that God commands us to forgive them is for us. See, we're the ones holding on to all the bitterness and resentment. My friend Montante, he didn't give a rip about me. He barely knew I existed. I was the one holding on to all the hate. And there's some of you, and you are so enchained by, by this other person. Every time you hear a message like this, that other person is like strapped to your back. You're carrying them around. They don't give a rip about you. See, God calls us to this. He commands us to this because he wants to set you free. He wants you free from this. He wants you free from the hate. He wants you free from the bitterness. And there's some of you here, and today is your day, and you want to be set free as well. And no, you don't feel like it. And no, they're not worthy of it. But guess what? Today is a day to do it. Today is a day to set them free, but more importantly, to set you free. And so we are going to pray, and we are going to celebrate communion. And I invite you to remember what Jesus has done for you. Because that is literally the only way that I know that this works. The only way. It's when we understand what he's done, the grace that he's given, we simply just extend that same grace from him to somebody else. The second we think we're worthy to take communion, the second that we think that it's because we deserve it, we've earned it, there's no way we can possibly forgive anybody else. So I'm going to pray for you. And then um, I got a a song to sing and just to let you have space to reflect. So what I want you to do is when you, when you come down, go ahead and take, take communion if you'd like. It's open to everybody here at Grace. And then just grab a seat again. And I just, I just want you to sit and pray and, and just listen to the words to this song. Sing if you'd like. And just take some time to do some business with God. So let's pray. And we'll take communion. And you can grab your seat. Lord, you know the level and the depth of pain in this room. You know, God, right now, all the faces, all the names of the people who've done horrible things to us. Some of them, maybe it was by accident, but a lot of them, it was just totally evil. It was on purpose. It, it was just, it was awful. 
Lord, you know all that pain. You know all the hurt. You know all the hate. You know all the desire we have for revenge. Lord God, we thank you for psalms like Psalm 109 that remind us that we are to take all that to you. That we can literally pray that you would wipe them off the face of the earth and torture their children if that's how we feel, God. You want to hear that. Lord, just remind us that ultimately it's not our job to fix them. That's your job. Our job is just to love them. Lord, help us to do one of the most excruciating, gut-wrenching, awful things in this life to love them, to forgive them. God, for most of us, there's not a bone in our body that wants to do that. Not a bone in our body. There's nothing in us that wants to do that. There's just one thing that compels us forward and that's you tell us that we're supposed to. So God, if you want this to happen, you have to help us. Put every single person today in touch with the fact that we're not worthy for your forgiveness. So even though those people are not worthy of ours, we can still give it because we're thankful you gave it to us. Lord, I just I pray right now that if there's people and, and they are on that line of faith and they haven't put their faith in you, Jesus, because it's like, I just don't know, but they know that if they're going to, they're going to forgive their enemies, they're going to get set free from hate. I pray, God, right now that there would be people in this room who would just for the first time be able to just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I, I, I need you to be my savior. I, I need your unconditional love because I need that love and forgiveness to forgive other people. I, I need to realize that I'm not worthy and neither are they. So Lord, as we come and we receive communion this morning, I just pray you'd check our hearts. I pray, God, you'd help us to do what we need to do, what you're urging us to do. And I pray we would do it today, right now in this room. We would do business with you, God, right now. Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.